Hey, hope everybody's having a fantastic day. Today's a Thursday, and I'm coming at you with the second video on the series on the life of St. Thomas. Uh, before we talked about, if you remember all back then, I think that was like two or three weeks ago, we talked about the sources for the life of St. Thomas, how we can know that this work by William of Toko, which uh, link in the description below if you want to buy it, how we can actually trust what he's saying. And how we know that St. Thomas's life is being replicated correctly. And uh, as we've seen uh, through that consideration, we can know <coughs> that the life of St. Thomas is being replicated accurately uh, by William of Toko. We can know quite certainly that it is. So uh, before we begin, uh, just two or three quick announcements. So first... I finally came out with uh, merch. So, where is it? Right there. So, if you want to buy, uh, like, shirts, stuff, Gary Goo, trolling 39 articles, there you go. There's a lot of different stuff you can buy. So, link in the description below. And then also, uh, I have destroyed... Uh, my current Discord group, it got kind of out of control. So I'm replacing it with a second backup um, Discord group that's going to be um, a bit more focused uh, towards the spiritual life, towards uh, formation, uh, towards good discussion about issues of theology. And uh, those who were in a long time in the other group or people I know I invited them. Uh, but others, there's going to be a little bit of a barrier of entry, so I don't get just millions entering. So uh, if you go to Patreon, I put a little like $2 tier for anybody who wants uh, to sign up for that, and it'll automatically send you the link. So, uh, let's get into the early life of St. Thomas Aquinas. So uh, in Chapter 2 of William of Toko's biography, uh, chapter one, he gives the background of a bit of the Dominican order. And really to understand Thomas, you need to understand St. Dominic and you need to understand uh, the Dominican order, uh, the Dominican order, the order of preachers. They were an order that is focused on the preaching of sacred scripture and the refutation of heresy. That's really what the Dominican order was made for. It was, wasn't necessarily... Um, an intellectual order, as we would uh, think of, but really a preaching order. Uh, that's why they're called the or order of preachers. And in order to have good preachers, you need to have the intelligentsia. So obviously, um, from this need for good preachers arose the Dominicans as an intellectual uh, order. Uh, they were a new order at the time, a new mendicant order. Uh, they didn't have the same sort of respect as groups like the Augustinians or the Benedictines would have had uh, during that era, because they were startups, they were new startups. They were uh, papally approved and protected, and they didn't have the same respect. Uh, so it would have been a little bit scandalous. Uh, it would have been a, a bit of a scandalous choice, and I don't mean scandal in the sense of um, sinful, I just mean a, a, a shocking a sort of choice for people to enter the order of preachers. Uh, 
Or uh, really at this time, you also had the Order of Friars Minor. Um, the Franciscan Order was much the same. So in this background of the revival of Christianity, because that's really what the 13th century was, you had a golden age of Christianity during that century. Not only in theology with the great golden scholastics, but also uh, you had holy kings, you had holy popes, you had uh, an important council, the Fourth Lateran Council, that really uh, brought about a lot of these uh, certain reforms and brought about a lot of the changes that needed to be done. So um, you get this really intense, good period uh, for the church. And this is the time in which St. Thomas Aquinas was born. So we get boyhood stories from St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, if, if memory serving me right, I didn't uh, write this down, but I think he was born in 1225. So in 1225, St. Thomas Aquinas is born. And we hear boyhood stories of him from Catherine de Mora. Who's Catherine de Mora? So Catherine de Mora was St. Thomas's niece, and she witnessed to all of these boyhood stories that she had heard directly from her grandmother, who is uh, Lady Theodora. Lady Theodora was St. Thomas's mother. So St. Thomas's niece uh, heard all of these stories from St. Thomas's mother and passed them down to William of Toko. So that's how we have all of these stories from the early life of St. Thomas. So St. Thomas's family was actually quite um, a noble family. They were of the noble class. They were nobility. They were uh, known for having certain virtues. They were known for uh, their respectability. They were known for the political influence they had. St. Thomas's father actually frequently uh, helped with discord between the emperor and the pope. So it wasn't like... Uh, St. Thomas's fam St. Thomas's family was a bunch of uh, nobody peasants or anything like that. He he came from a noble family, and it's also said that Lady Theodora, St. Thomas's mother, was a woman of virtue. She was a very virtuous woman, and St. Thomas had very important and virtuous ancestors. So before Lady Theodora knew that she was pregnant with St. Thomas, she had a certain revelation. There was a prophecy uh, of his birth. A man who was known for being holy, he was a hermit, appeared to her and said that she would have a son who would be a great light of the church and that her and her husband would plan to make him a monk of Monte Cassino. Because what you need to know about the uh, the way in which medieval orders worked at the time, unfortunately, is that the abbots or the heads of these major monasteries would be seen as um, almost quasi-political uh, figures, or in some cases just um, plain old political figures. So they would um, be able to grant certain uh, political favors and gain a bit of power. So uh, St. Thomas's parents, naturally coming from a noble line, living in a noble family, would want their son 
and they could, through their political influence, make their son the abbot of an important monastery. And the most important monastery is Monte Cassino, because that is uh, one of the monasteries that St. Benedict founded. And uh, the, the monks at Monte Cassino were Benedictines. So Lady Theodora was told all of these things, and she responded, I am not worthy to bear such a son, but let God do the pleasure of his will. So at this point, you may be hearing something that sounds familiar. What sounds familiar here? Well, this is almost exactly the sequence of events that we get in the beginning of Luke's gospel. Now, why is this? And we're going to see this actually throughout the life of St. Thomas. That William of Toko is purposefully telling the story of St. Thomas's life in a manner in which the his life would pattern the life of our Lord. Why is that? Well, besides the fact that there's certain uh, truths that are being uh, presented, the artistic rendering or the order of his life has to do with the fact that the saints themselves represent to us Christ and that their conformity to Christ becomes so great that even something like their birth is seen as the birth of Christ. And their mother, although we'll see Lady Theodora later, does not act as the mother of Christ, but even their mother in certain ways acts like Christ. Uh, St. Thomas's brothers are going to um, also be as the brothers of Christ who rejected him. So we're going to see this certain genre, this genre of hagiography, which is not like anything we've seen before in other writings. Modern historians may uh, say that this is, this is fake or this is dumb, but they weren't writing modern history. The life of St. Thomas Aquinas, presented here by William of Toko, isn't meant strictly as history. It's meant to inflame the hearts of the faithful, that they themselves might conform their life to Christ, and they may love Christ and know Christ through St. Thomas Aquinas's life. Just as St. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, William of Toko is saying, follow Thomas as he follows Christ. So that's why we get in the birth narrative of St. Thomas, we get something which is like uh, Christ, and we'll see this over and over again throughout this, um, throughout the sequence of events that William of Toko gives. So the next story that we give, that we get about the life of St. Thomas Aquinas, is a certain storm arose during his young age. So St. Thomas Aquinas was at his parents' castle. And lightning struck the tower in which St. Thomas and his sister were sleeping. St. Thomas was kept safe, but his sister happened to die. And all of, uh, there were horses below uh, where they were staying at. And all of the horses died. But St. Thomas, by the providence of God, was kept from this danger. 
And then we get another uh, famous story, uh, one which may sound funny to us, but William of Toko uh, actually draws forth a lot of scriptural parallels uh, with this portion of St. Thomas's life. So it's said that St. Thomas, when he was a toddler, was at the public bath with his nurse, and he found a scrap of paper on the ground. And he grabbed hold of the scrap of paper. And his nurse tried to take the scrap of paper from him. But St. Thomas would just flip out uh, every time uh, his nurse tried to take the scrap of paper from him. And eventually she gave up and just undressed him as normal, gave him a bath with his hand tightly clutching this piece of paper. So when St. Thomas had gotten home uh, to Lady Theodora, Lady Theodora was able to open his hand and found that the scrap of paper had the Ave Maria uh, written on it. And from this point uh, in St. Thomas's life, he would refuse to be comforted by his nurse or by his mother. His only comfort was to hold these scraps of paper. And eventually, his only comfort was to eat these scraps of paper. Yes, it sounds weird. But what William of Toko does from this story is he looks at the, the future life of St. Thomas as one who would uh, ruminate on the word of God and the teaching of the Holy Fathers and look at uh, the certain descriptions given, uh, for example, in um, what is it, Isaiah? It's given in Isaiah of the, um, no, it's in Jeremiah. Can't remember which now, but of the eating of the scroll, yes, that's in Jeremiah. Of the eating of the scroll, no, it's in Ezekiel. Dang it, it's in Ezekiel. The eating of the scroll uh, of the Word of God. So that's what we get in Saint Thomas's uh, own life is he is patterning himself afterwards, and this becomes a certain sign of his future vocation in the order of preachers. So then. St. Thomas's parents, uh, seeing a little bit of his promise, decided to send him to where? Monte Cassino. Exactly what was said in the prophecy of his birth. His parents wanted him to be at Monte Cassino. So his parents sent him to study at Monte Cassino in order to get his moral education. So this was something which at that time was a tradition that was over, well over a thousand years old. That students of philosophy in the beginning would get moral instruction because it was said that one could not receive the higher studies of logic, natural science, uh, natural philosophy, and metaphysics. One could not receive these higher truths without being properly disposed towards them by moral education. So that's where Mon that's where St. Thomas uh, went first. And a saint and uh, it was a common practice at the time to often you offer your children as uh, boy monks, uh, uh, little kids who would wear little habits and they would be monks in, in the monastery. And this is uh, what St. Thomas was sent to do when he was at the age of five. And even at the age of five, he was 
being taught by the monks and showed a great deal of promise. He was quite a bright uh, young boy uh, in what he was learning. He didn't talk much. He tended to remain quiet um, in, in uh, contemplating that which he was taught. Uh, this is um, the sort of famous story of St. Thomas Aquinas going around to all of the monks asking, what is God? What is God? What is God? And he would walk around carrying a parchment which contained all of uh, the rudiments of his boyhood education. And due to the fact that he was such a good student, the abbot of the monastery decided to talk with the parents of St. Thomas Aquinas and ask them to send him to Naples to get further education. So uh, he's a little boy, uh, probably like, I don't know, probably around 10 years old. And he is getting sent to study the trivium. So he's getting, uh, it's mentioned that he studied uh, grammar, logic, and the natural uh, sciences, is what it's called. And at this time, uh, as he's studying the trivium, the Dominican brothers, certain Dominican brothers, began to have visions of St. Thomas Aquinas, that he would one day um, join the Dominican order. And this is uh, what happens when he's around the age of 12. So around this time, young teenager, uh, probably maybe a little bit older than 12, around the time he's a young teenager, his fame had already grown very wide within the schools due to um, how absolutely brilliant he was in his former studies. And at this time, uh, we see another point in which you get a, a quasi-image of the life of Christ being found in St. Thomas. I guess it's not a quasi-image, it's just a plain image. So at the around his early teenage years, he begins his... Uh, those who are supposed to be taking care of St. Thomas decides that they want to uh, try him out. They, they, they take him and uh, because he's so smart, they take him to some public disputations with actual professors and uh, students engaging in these disputations. And uh, St. Thomas just absolutely uh, blows them away with the answers he was giving to these disputed questions. And uh, this just made his fame uh, grow even wider. So at this time, uh, he began to converse with brother, uh, Father John of San uh, Giuliano. Father John of San Giuliano, and I'll just call him Father John um, from now on, who recommended that he enter the Order of Preachers. And St. Thomas, uh, hearing the mission of the Order of Preachers, decided that that was his vocation. So this time, um, Brother Thomas of Lentini gave St. Thomas the habit, and he was efficiently uh, enrolled in the Dominican order. And an interesting fact about Brother Thomas of Lentini, he eventually uh, was sent to the Middle East and became the Patriarch of Jerusalem. So this time, um, there was a bit of discord. There's definitely a bit of discord. 
because all of the women, the noble, other noble women who uh, knew St. Thomas and knew St. Thomas's family began to freak out. They were freaking out because uh, they said that St. Thomas had taken on himself a pauper's habit. That is the, uh, the type of clothing that a poor person wears that he couldn't be taking on. Uh, he can join this mendicant order. He had to join one of the important and one of the, one of the important orders in one of the wealthy monasteries and gain um, a position of repute in one of these orders. And at this time, uh, the Dominicans were celebrating the fact that this uh, child that they've been having visions of had finally joined the order. And the servants of Lady Theodora and of the um, of, of her household, because at this time um, St. Thomas's father had passed, were utterly terrified to tell her. So if you think about it, uh, they, they, this noble woman, they hear that the, the son of this noble woman had taken on the pauper's habit. How are, how are they going to respond to this? Well, how, she, how do they think that she's going to respond to this? Well, obviously, they think she's going to be extremely upset. This is what the Dominicans thought. This is what the servants thought. But this is not what St. Thomas thought. And when... Lady Theodora heard the news from her servants, she rejoiced because she had known that years prior when she was pregnant with St. Thomas, she knew his divine vocation as a member of the Order of Preachers. So in her joy, she wanted to go see St. Thomas and give him some motherly counsel and congratulate him. But the Dominican friars were scared that her that what she was coming to do was trying to convince him out of it, trying to take him home. So the Dominican friars, after <coughs> all of these visions <coughs> that they had about this young man of promise and all of the um, future good that he's going to do for the order, they decided that they wanted to hide St. Thomas as, as, a, as, as their treasure. So they took St. Thomas and they hid him in Rome. And at this point, uh, Lady Theodora, realizing that she was not going to be able to see her uh, beloved son, freaked out a bit, understandably. So this is the, the genesis of the famous kidnapping of St. Thomas Aquinas. So she was so distressed that she talked to her other sons and asked them, because they had certain important uh, positions with the, uh, with the emperor, to kidnap St. Thomas. And they asked the emperor uh, if he could uh, give them a leave to do so. So the emperor actually was quite happy to do this, and sent out soldiers to help uh, find St. Thomas. And eventually, they found St. Thomas near a brook with four other friars. And they tried to take him, and they tried to actually take his habit from him. But St. Thomas, uh, always meek, uh, but 
quite a quite a uh, large man as we know quite a quite a strong man at this time he was um probably i want to say late teens although there aren't explicit dates given so this is just more so my guess than anything so probably at this time late teens he's he's developed he's a young man so uh he fought them that's what uh, saint thomas did they tried to take his habit. He was meek and everything else to be taken, but he refused to let them have his habit because his habit had been given to him and he gloried in his habit. So he fought them and uh, they decided to give up taking his habit and just took him. So uh, at this time, the friars are in absolute distress. They were so upset. They were they were extremely upset about having lost this man who they uh, had visions of. This man who um, who who would become a light of the order of preachers. They were extremely upset. So they went to Pope Innocent, and Pope Innocent was about to lay the hammer down. If you remember your medieval history, at this time in the 13th century was about the height of the powers of the popes. So if the Pope wanted to absolutely obliterate all of these people who were doing these things, he could do so. And he asked the, he actually asked the brothers if that's what they wanted. And they said, no, they decided to pass on the offer and they decided to um, give way to prayer uh, for the return of St. Thomas. So his brothers and the other soldiers took him to a certain castle. They had um, imprisoned him in that castle. Uh, and he was allowed to uh, see his family uh, quite frequently. And they let him keep a copy of the Bible and a copy of Lombard sentences. And he made such a thorough study of them that actually when he eventually gets released, um, it is said that he learned uh, more through this study uh, than they possibly could have taught him in um, a Dominican studium. So uh, during this time of, of great study, uh, other sources say that he actually memorized the entire uh, Vulgate version of the Bible uh, when he was there, which uh, wouldn't surprise me. He, uh, at this time, also taught his sister uh, sacred scripture, and his sister eventually became a uh, Benedictine abbess. Uh, she took the habit uh, due to the exhortations of St. Thomas. And during this time, uh, St. Thomas decided to redeem the time, and he devoted himself to prayer, contemplation, and Lectio Divina, that is, um, holy or sacred reading of the t uh, important texts. But uh, his brothers were not done with him. They were not content just to throw him in jail. At first, they uh, tried to persuade him. Then they tried to threaten him. And then they decided to beat him up, as, uh, as brothers do. And he, they ripped apart his habit. And St. Thomas refused to change in any other clothes. He just wore his tattered habit uh, all the time. So, uh, at this point, uh, we get to the famous uh, story of the prostitute so i actually want to uh read chapter 11 of the life of saint thomas uh, i i like the way in which 
He describes everything. I think it's quite good. And this is also the, the earliest account of the story. So a lot of people like to pretend this is some like late medieval story of St. Thomas. That's definitely not real. No, this is actually um, from all of our earliest sources. We get this story. So uh, he says, since they had failed to confound Thomas by this former outrage, the brothers fell on planning an attack of another kind by which they might finally overcome him. This was the force that seldom failed to bring down citadels, to grind boulders to dust, and to uproot the cedars of Lebanon by its tempest. It is against this power that all men contend, yet how few stand victorious after the bitter conflict. For indeed, it had occurred to these men to send into the chamber where Thomas was confined in solitude, the loveliest girl that they could find, adorned with the seductive arts of the courtesan, so that she might lure him into sin by her looks, caresses, teasing gestures, and any other wiles that she could summon. Thus was she unleashed on our unconquered champion, a man who had chosen for his promised bride the wisdom of God, for love of whom he was wholly consumed. All of this was permitted by the ordinance of divine providence, so that he might emerge from the combat still more glorious in his triumph. When Thomas laid her eyes on her and sensed a stimulus arise in his flesh, which he had always held in perfect subjection to his reason, his spirit instantly stirred him to seize a firebrand from the hearth, and he drove the young girl out of his chamber with righteous indignation. Moved by the ardor of his soul, he then returned to the corner of his cell to inscribe the sign of the Holy Cross upon the wall with the tip of his brand, and there he prostrated himself on the ground, imploring from God with tears and prayer the cincture of perpetual virginity, which God had allowed him to preserve uncorrupted in the battle that he had just faced. Once he had offered up these prayers with the shedding of tears, he suddenly passed into sleep. And behold, two angels were sent to him from heaven, assuring him that the Lord had heard the prayer of him who had attained victory in so bitter a conflict. Then binding him tightly round by the loins, they said, Behold, we gird you on behalf of Almighty God, as you have requested with the girdle of chastity, which can never be loosened henceforth by any attack. That which human virtue cannot obtain is now granted to you by the munificent gift of divine grace. Nor did he ever sense the slightest loosening of this girdle, which was revealed after the saint's death by the faithful testimony of his confessors, as we will discuss hereafter. So there's a brief note before I continue in the rest of the chapter. You can actually, uh, this cincture that was... Um, tied around his waist. You can actually see it to this day. Uh, he wore it for the rest of his life. He kept it, um, and he, and it was eventually um, kept in a church uh, somewhere in Europe. So that, and you can also uh, join the angelic militia, which is, uh, which also takes uh, this censure as um, a devotional practice for the preservation of chastity. Uh, so you can just look up angelic militia and uh, this should come up, and there's certain prayers attached to it. So if you struggle with chastity, or really anybody should uh, join this, because we're all uh, bound, um, well, the, the fullest flowing forth of the life of all is the keeping of, of the 
counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Uh, even if you aren't able to keep these in act, you must uh, at least keep them in habit. But continuing. Having emerged from this grave attack with his virginity perfectly intact, he never afterwards perceived any violation of its integrity. Indeed, from that time on, he always found the sight of women abhorrent, and he avoided their company and conversation as far as he was able. Equally, he was sincerely astonished at and given to censure other men devoted to theological study who habitually wasted their time in long conversations with women, unless it were occasioned by some necessity or business of the highest importance, or prompted by an urgent discussion of God or spiritual truth. Now, as soon as he had been bound by the touch of the angels, Thomas was seized by a pain in all his senses and moved to cry aloud. When the people outside came rushing in to ask why he had cried out, Thomas refused to disclose the gift the divine grace had granted him. Rather, he kept it secret until the day of his death be revealed only after. To this end, he gave an account of this vision to his closest companion, Reginald, who afterwards related it uh, as an example to many others for the glory of God and the uh, commendation of his saint. O happy confines of that prison in which that peerless splendor of understanding casts its light, O saving fetters, which granted every liberty to that soul as it contemplated the things of heaven. O blessed temptation of that mighty one, victorious in battle, which the divine assistance converted into triumph when the enemy strove to wield it to his peril. O perfectly formed marks of the sanctity and merits of his life, that this invisible combatant, though attacked on every side according to the senses of the flesh, could never be beguiled by allurements nor crushed by violence. O manful warrior, unfaltering, though still a youth on the field of battle, who overcame that ancient and familiar adversary, carrying out that bitter conflict, the rarest victory, and ever after worthy to carry off the garland. O happy pilgrim and stranger to this world, having by his victory became a citizen of heaven, who merited by heaven's will to look upon his countrymen, for he was not denied the companionship of the angels when they girded him with chastity. And it is thus that he worthily became angelic in purity when, as an earthly man, he fought to safeguard his virginity. So, after this point, uh, his brothers kind of realized that nothing was going to uh, shake him. So, uh, during this time, Father uh, John, as we mentioned earlier, he kept visiting St. Thomas. He gave him a new habit. Um, he gave him spiritual direction and everything like that, gave him encouragement, and kept reporting back to the order that St. Thomas was keeping strong in wearing his habit, and uh, he was keeping strong in his study, in uh, the moral life and prayer. And they were rejoicing. And St. Thomas, at this point, had been there for two years. And after two years, Lady Theodora remembered the revelation that was given to her, that we started out uh, this story of the life of St. Thomas uh, with. She remembered this revelation and was pierced to the heart uh, from the fact that she had kept St. Thomas from pursuing that which was revealed uh, to her that he would pursue. 
So she decided to let St. Thomas out of the castle by a rope. And St. Thomas was received back into uh, the fellowship of his Dominican brothers. And uh, from this point, uh, this is the, the end of the sort of youth of St. Thomas. But from this point, uh, we are going to go into uh, his learning under uh, St. Albertus Magnus next time. So if you enjoyed this, uh, please subscribe. And uh, if you really enjoyed it, uh, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com militantomist to have me uh, continue to be able to do things like this. If you know any friends that would enjoy uh, this series on the life of St. Thomas, uh, definitely make sure to share this uh, with anybody you know. Uh, and if you would, share it also on social media. Thank you and God bless.